Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. Today my guest is Mark Devine, a fellow former Navy SEAL commander with an extensive background in mindfulness and meditation. He's written three books and has another one coming out soon. He's founded multiple companies, he's got his own podcast and a nonprofit, and he's a father. And that's just a short intro bio. We're going to learn a lot more about Mark on this episode. All right, Mark, thanks and welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so this is our first show, uh, <laughs> as I was saying during the pre-interview, and, and we're honored to kick this off with a guest such as yourself. You've got one heck of a background, uh, retired Navy SEAL commander, martial artist, uh, CPA, MBA, a serial entrepreneur. You run your own nonprofit in the Courage Foundation. You host your own podcast with the Unbeatable Mind and you're an expert on mindfulness, I would, I would say that you should consider writing a book, but I know that's already on the list, too. Um, I've, got, so my, I've pl- got my fifth one coming out in March. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm Thanks. excited. I, I actually uh, got one of the, the, uh, the early um, buys in on the Courage Foundation when you guys were doing the burpee oh, competition. Right. Yeah, thank you. So I'm, I'm excited to be getting one of those soon. Awesome. Yeah, man. So, I mean, how do you have so much energy to do so much? <laughs> you know, actually, I think um, the mental training has everything to do with it. I mean, it, it's just allowed me to uh, a focus very deeply when I need to focus on you know whatever target I'm really drilling into, and then also to you know to become more and more aware about what I need to be focusing on, which allows me to you know um, say no to the right things and yes to the right things, and. Um, and also, I got an incredible team to support me, right? so that um, it looks like I'm doing all this alone, but I'm not. Of course, <laughs> that's true for all of us. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's that's true from back when we were in the teams too. I mean, it, right. you know, our guys made us look good for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So I get that. Yeah, so uh, I, I appreciate you're saying yes to this. So I, I assume <laughs> that we are one of the things you said yes to, and it's the right thing. So hopefully, it's in line with your ideals and values. Oh, anything so, I can do to help veterans, you know, especially those who are suffering from post-traumatic stress. I mean, jeez. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, absolutely. it started the, our foundation really because it was just breaking my heart to see that so many guys are getting crushed by that, and also knowing both my own experience and also through the experience we've had with the Courage Foundation that that there is a way out of that darkness. You know, that we can, you know, help through practices like mindfulness and mindful movement and yoga and breath work and ideally an integration of all the above, you know, can heal, right? Bring these right. people back to a, not just a functioning level, but like a thriving level again. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely, I want to get into the Courage Foundation here uh, in a little bit in, in the show. 
Um, but I, yeah, I definitely want to kind of lead up to that because there's tons of overlap in what you guys are doing and what Veterans Path is doing. Right. So before we get into that, kind of uh, for the listeners, Mark and I have known one another for, I, I don't know, maybe a, maybe a year uh, or so mm-hmm. now. Um, I've known of Mark for a lot longer than that um, and for a lot longer than he's known of me. Actually, Mark, I used your Seal Fit program to get back into shape when I was at postgraduate school. So, <laughs> so if that says anything. <laughs> did it work? <laughs> so, it did. It sure did. So now I, get, now I need to use it again because uh, I've, I've got the bad the uh, dad bod going on with two little ones at home. <laughs> oh, you've, so. you missed that lesson on daily discipline <laughs> practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to get back into it for sure. It That's awesome. So, yeah, anyway, that all said, um, I wanted to get the podcast started um, right with by, by bringing you on, by bringing a, a really outstanding performer, somebody who knows um, mindfulness and meditation. Um, and funny enough, I, I was planning on doing a, a podcast before I got associated with Veterans Path, and I was hoping to get you on. Now I am with Veterans Path, and, and lo and behold, our executive director at Veterans Path is Dave Drake, mm-hmm. one of your classmates right. from Colgate. And now here you are. Dave actually reached out to you without my knowing. And it's like, hey, hey, John, just so you know, your first guest on the podcast is Mark Devine. I was like, perfect. Thanks for that, man. I appreciate that. So it's kind of crazy how the, the world is so small at times. Isn't it? I was so stoked yeah. to hear from Dave. Like, I haven't seen Dave since 83 or 84. Um, and, um, you know, we were we were acquaintances. We weren't like best friends or fraternity brothers. We tend to sure. you know, run in packs of fraternity brothers or, or sports team kind of packs back then but um and i didn't know that dave had gone off to japan and as a foreign exchange student of some sort right right and then started studying aikido while he was right. there and yeah I, he actually had yeah had a non-profit doing that right and then he th- right then later on he started a non-profit teaching aikido to vets which i think was awesome it's a little bit um, difficult probably to raise money because most people don't really understand what Aikido is and how, how unique it is. But right. anyways, it was kind of interesting because the, on a parallel path, I started studying my Zen training through my karate um, Sado in 1985 also. So it was about a, you know, maybe a year after he started studying Aikido. Right here we are, hook, uh, hooking up again. Thirty-five years later. Yeah, it's wild, right? And, and like the parallels have come back. The Aikido, some of the Zen background. It's 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 so crazy. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so yeah, I think Dave has told you kind of what Veterans Path do, sure. uh, uh, what we do at Veterans Path rather. And I'll just cover for the listeners since this is our first show. We introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, and, and it's typically in an outdoor setting so that they can rediscover peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's, that's where the word path, peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor comes from in our name. Nice. And so we recently had a leadership transition ceremony. It was, it was actually this past weekend. And, and man, it was, it was great. It was literally uh, a lot of the tie-in from the Zen side, the mindfulness, meditation, and then the, the military side. We had a full like change of command where we did a guide on passing. Um, so the, the co-founders, Lee Lesser and Chris Fort, Fortin, uh, two beautiful ladies inside and out, they're amazing. Um, they turned over leadership to myself and Dave, and, and we thought it would be appropriate that we start doing a podcast kind of uh, to, to get the word out about um, 
mental health and try to break down that stigma um, more broadly, helping reduce that that social stigma about seeking mental health support. Mm-hmm. And we've decided to do that by doing this podcast, focusing on vets, athletes, corporate leaders, some some high performing individuals who overcome great obstacles through the use of meditation and mindfulness. And you kind of fit into all three of those categories that I've just mentioned. You know, obviously you're a vet, mm-hmm. you're an athlete with your your background in martial arts, and you're a corporate leader with being a serial entrepreneur. But kind of before we delve into that background um, in the mindfulness space and in those three categories, uh, just to get the listeners who may not know who you are, if you could just tell us a little bit more about you personally, things like like where you live, some of your hobbies, family, stuff like that. Yeah, I now live, I actually, for the last, um, since I came out for SEAL training, actually, in 1990, I've lived in San Diego County. Wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So I was from yeah. upstate New York, and of course, we mentioned um, Colgate University is where, where Dave and I stomped around a little bit, and when I graduated there, I worked in Manhattan for four years as a CPA. That's where the MBA and the CPA came from. So That's right crazy. after college, I went in, and like literally six weeks after graduating, I was at NYU Stern School of Business working on my MBA and uh, became a CPA, worked for Cooperson Library and then Arthur Anderson. But it was, um, you know, this is interesting. It's not, it's related to my current life because that's when I started Zen training. I mentioned that with my martial arts program, which I started the same time I started my MBA and working toward my CPA. So I was a little bit busy back then, but some things never change, right? And the, <laughs> yeah. But the Zen training, you know, it 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 wasn't. Let me put it this way: there there's um, Zen is like military boot camp for meditation. It is a very strict regimen of concentration training, and is considered a a d- distinct path. And concentration works the left side of the brain, and it and it helps you really focus and and drill into single pointed focus, single minded uh, pursuits. And that's why it's really effective for the martial arts um, and also extremely effective for me as a Navy SEAL officer to have that foundation in concentration training. Whereas mindfulness really works for the right side of the brain, which helps you become much more open and aware and sensitive and um, able to see whatever patterns arise in your life. That's why it's very helpful for helping vets um, kind of heal because they become calmer, they develop a greater metacognition of you know, their uh, inner awareness, inner surroundings, what's going on with their uh, thoughts and emotions. And then they can start to see patterns and, and to identify what's healthy and what's not more effectively in the form right. of self-therapy. So mindfulness is like self-therapy, whereas Zen training is basically focusing like a freaking Navy SEAL sniper so you can get <laughs> get uh, an important job done. And you can see how they both work hand in glove. And so part of that training really helped me appreciate um, the juxtaposition, because later on, believe it or not, you would probably agree with this, but SEAL training has a fair, a fair amount of both involved. Oh, yeah, I would absolutely agree with yeah, that. Yeah, consider the juxtaposition of a, of a sniper, you know, um, duo, right, a pair. One is on the gun, and the other is the spotter. The gun spotter, is, yeah, yeah right. the gunman is practicing concentration, and the spotter is practicing mindfulness, and they're in deep silence for hours and hours and hours at a time. That is an active or an applied practice of both concentration and mindfulness that the SEALs just do because they're warriors, but they don't even know that they're doing that because they've never thought to call it those things. Right, right. I, I 
I'll be honest, I've never thought of it that way myself. So I, I love that you brought that up and kind of drew that parallel. Ironically, I was literally just down with the SEAL Training Command last week, and we were talking about this very thing because they have this, they're, they're interested in bringing mindfulness and meditation into the SEALs. And so I walked them through. Good. I walked them through kind of dialoguing just like I just did. And I said, listen, there, a lot of this is already happening. What we need to do is kind of codify it and then train trainers to be able to train the students so that they can improve those skills so that it's not happening just by chance anymore. It's right. actually a daily practice that, you know, you're practicing in the morning when you wake up, you're practicing a different thing in the evening to kind of wrap up the day, and then you've got spot drills during the day and before all the major evolutions. You're practicing concentration, mindfulness, visualization, so that you can really dominate and win in the mind before you step onto the battlefield. Right. And so that's, you know, that's already kind of happening. They're bringing uh, some of our unbeatable mind techniques into buds um, informally, which is pretty cool. Um, anyways, I went off on this huge tangent, but the <laughs> no, I love it. That's hey, that's the, the, uh, the beauty of the organic conversation. Yeah, exactly. I love it. It all started when I started training Zen back in New York City at Sato Karate on Twenty Third Street under the watchful eye of Master Tadashi Nakamura, who. I, you know, lovingly claim as a Zen master masquerading as a karate instructor, <laughs> and the karate was was secondary for for him. I mean, he was he was very passionate about his karate, but he really loved his Zen too. And we would sit Thursday nights for 45 minutes at a time, and we'd go to the Zen Mountain Monastery, which is in Woodstock, New York, for these long weekend retreats a few times a year. And I took to that like, you know, like a moth to a flame. I guess that's probably a poor <laughs> analogy, but um. I really loved the Zen training because I felt the effect fairly quickly, you know, within three months. And, and probably, John, because I was an athlete and an endurance athlete in particular, so endurance athletes also get some of that spillover effect of concentration and mindfulness, right? It takes great concentration to really get into and, and stay the course and, and um, you know, drill into the technique of your endurance race. And I was a triathlete and a competitive swimmer. But then when you really start getting into kind of the middle point of your race or your event, you begin to relax the mind, relax the grip, and you kind of go into a more of a mindful experience. And, and the physiological experience of that is flow, right? Or right, being in the right. zone. And you also get this endorphin effect, which is kind of a nice byproduct. But um, so when I went, and I also practiced visualization as part of my athletics. So I went into the Zen training, you know, um, I was, it was actually quite natural for me to experience the benefits quickly and to understand what was going on. So I really doubled down on my training, whereas a lot of other people didn't. And it's very, because it's very difficult. You know, you sit down and you have, it's difficult to still your mind. And, you know, our, sure. our Western, the monkey mind, our monkey minds are like just basically trained to be distracted and distractible. Right. And always looking for the next dopamine hit and always looking for the next shiny ball to chase after, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, so, and in this day and age, I think it's even worse. It's I mean, with our, our phones and social media, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's insane. Exactly. So, yeah, so for our listeners, uh, you, you know, you mentioned uh, finding that, that um, I don't know, was it a, a, a dojo? Uh, you just happened upon that. If I remember right, when I read Unbeatable Mind, um, you you were walking down the street. Were you at, at NYU at the time, and you just heard some people maybe wrestling around or something, and you you went up there and 
the rest is history. How did that happen? Yes and no. You know, I think there's so much synchronicity when you intensely want something, then the universe kind of starts to line up, you know, because you, you're creating a thought and that you're putting that thought out there. And if you yeah. put enough energy behind that thought, then something's going to happen. Something's going to shake free for you. So for right. me, because I was a pretty intense athlete, some would call me extreme, but when I was in college... <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> yeah. I went from being a competitive rower and swimmer and winning triathlons down to all of a sudden I was in New York City, and New York City is a concrete jungle. And so I was thinking, right. what am I going to do? You know, I, I'm, I'm not willing to just put a suit on every day and, and let myself grow a paunch and become a middle, <laughs> middle-aged you know, CPA at 30 or 35. So that's, I don't think life has to be like that. I, I think that I can continue to train, or and more importantly, I think I said I am going to continue to train. And a lot of more people these days do that than, let's say, in 1985, but maybe I was a little pioneer. I was like, I'm not going to go silently into the night and become a load, basically. So I began <laughs> a routine of, you know, getting up at early every morning at 5.30 or so and, and you know, doing a six-mile run around uh, the park. And then I would, um, when everyone else went out to their lunch, and that usually included shitty food and a beer, I would go to the gym and bang out a high-intensity workout. And this is well before CrossFit or anything like that. It, right. But I would kind of coddle together my own little high-intensity workout because basically I had to get back to the office. So I had to get everything done in 35 or 40 minutes, shower right. up and get back. And then after, I had this chunk of time between when I was technically done with work, which was like five or six, and when I needed to be at NYU uh, Stern School, which was down, back then it was down by the World Trade Center. And... Um, so I was like, what can I do in that kind of time period? And, I won, and, and then that's one data point. The other data point was, it wasn't Dave, but my college roommate started studying Shotokan karate at Colgate. They actually had a, a oh, wow, teacher okay. at Colgate. And um, I watched him transform the four years I was at Colgate. You know, we, we, were, we stayed friends. I only lived in that, that freshman year in the dorm, but we stayed friends and I watched him transform. He was a different person. And he too went off to Japan when he graduated to teach English and to study karate. And um, wow. I was always intrigued by how he had changed because I felt like older, but the same goofball that I was. I, I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't transform as a result of my athletics. There was something different going on. And um, when I mean transform, like he, he was more mature. He was more thoughtful. At least he appeared more thoughtful to me. Um, he was more respectful. He had this different look in his eye, you know, at, by the time he became a black belt. And so I was like really right. intrigued with that. So these two things came together when I went to New York. I was like, I, I really want to feel, you know, spend a couple hours or an hour and a half training in the evening. Uh, I didn't want to just go running. It was really impractical for me to go join like a rowing club or doing something like that. And also, I was intrigued with the martial arts, so I started to kind of little look around a little bit. And this is pre-internet, right? So I couldn't. Right. <laughs> I had the yellow. No Google. Yeah, I had the yellow pages. But so all that was going through my head when I was walking home from work, and I was walking down 23rd Street while I was living on 22nd Street, and I heard these shouts coming from 
the upstairs in this building, which was unusual. And I looked up and there was a big flag with a lotus flower on it. And it said World Sado Karate Headquarters. And I was like, wow, what do you know? You know what I mean? This is like across the street from me practically. So I went up there and I there was Nakamura teaching a class. And uh, I talked to some people and I started literally like the next day. Nice. And um, it was awesome. I mean, and Nakamura was truly my first real mentor. Meaning, you know, someone that I, I respected so much that I was going to learn everything I could from this guy. And a lot of the learning was just through observation and just being around and, and then, you know, really stepping up to do the full scope of the training, which included all the Zen. And so that was a, it was a transformative thing for me. And four years later, I too had my black belt. I also got my MBA, my CPA. Believe it or not, John, MBA, CPA and black belt all came in the same month. No up, way. Up yeah, that's crazy. November 1989, and the very next month, I was in Officer Canada School. <laughs> so, yeah, so let's backtrack. <laughs> that month, uh, you, or you get your black belt, your CPA, um, and your MBA, and what is it that made you decide, you know what, I've got this background, but I'm going to go into the Navy? Yeah, but that decision actually happened about two years earlier, also as a result of the Zen training. Okay. And while I was sitting on the bench every day, so I, I basically the way it looked for me is first, my Zen training was a little bit, you know, five minutes or so before and after each class. Not even five minutes, to be fair, you know, two to, two to three minutes of silence before and after each class. And then Thursday nights, 45 minutes, and then like I mentioned, a couple times a year up at Zen Mountain Monastery. So I started doing that in 85, and by the time I was like a green belt, which was around 87, um, I was starting, and you know, oh, by the way, start, you know, I'll stop. I also <laughs> added a 20-minute morning routine, meaning every morning when I woke up, before I went for my run, I would sit down on my bench and practice. Okay, so that turned out to be the critical point, because... What I've since come to know is that daily practice of mindfulness or Zen or both is where you make your money. It's, it really doesn't do you any good or much good to just practice once a week, even if right. it's for a nice 45-minute set. It's daily. It's like it's going to the gym once a week. Same thing, daily discipline yep. practice. So that daily discipline practice started to crack me wide open. It, you know, especially at that young age, the, you know, the neuroplastic effect is going to be there for anybody when they start practicing meditation and mindfulness, your brain will start changing in, in really cool ways and you'll right, start experiencing right. that effect. But especially when you're in your early 20s or late teens and early 20s and your brain is still developing, it can have a profound effect. You know? And so that's what happened to me. It had this profound effect. I was getting you know, all these really cool peak states and um, I was having visions and those visions were really cool. They weren't like psychotic breaks or anything at least i don't think they were they were like visions of me you know as a warrior and and doing things that were completely out of context with what i was experiencing in my real life like i was a cpa you know what i mean right i was right literally in a white suit and i i had suspenders on <laughs> you know <laughs> and yeah i would have loved I was, to have seen that when i was sitting on the bench i kept getting this kind of like primal urge saying mark you're a warrior you know, like, what are you doing with yourself right now? You're wasting right. your time. You need to get busy going, doing warrior things. And I didn't know anything about the SEALs. 
actually, I had never heard about them. And um, it wasn't until I started getting these signals that I was meant to be a warrior and to lead people in kind of high-risk situations that I started kind of even considering that maybe the military was what I was meant to do and that I'd just kind of gotten off on the wrong path. And But I also had a lot of resistance, like both in my own mind plus from my family and peers. And so it wasn't something you can probably appreciate this. Going into the Navy wasn't something that, you know, someone from an elite you know, New England family did. Right, right. Because your family, I mean, your family business was the the CPA world, right? Now, the, my family business was actually a manufacturing company that's okay. been around okay. for over 100 years. It was like a sixth, oh, that's right. sixth generation that's right. type thing. And I was expected to come back and be part of it. And my entire, you know, sibling, all my siblings are doing that to this day. And, and they're doing quite well at it. But it just didn't. And so part of me being a CPA MBA was preparation for me to come back and run the company or one of the companies. Got it. Got it. That's right. So so it fit like a hand in a glove, according to the family story, the origin story. And there was a lot of resistance. I couldn't even tell my parents about it, but it was mostly in my head. And when I did tell my parents I was thinking about the SEALs, they, they literally freaked out, you know, and which is, you know, difficult for a. 22 year old to hear right you still want to please your parents and sure you're not ready to just you know punch them in the face and say thank you (laughs) i'm out of here (laughs) but sometimes that's what you have to do right i mean at the time uh i mean the navy seals were not what they are today as far as uh ubiquitous knowledge everybody knows who the seals are they're on uh, you know the the trident is on uh 100 books right i mean probably more than that we've got movies People know what the Navy SEALs are. Back, um, but back then, though, they did not. what was it that, how did you find out about them? That's a great question. So I don't know if the exact sequence, but I believe I first heard about them because my brother was working for a fellow who claimed to be a prior, a, a former Navy SEAL. And this guy was uh, like an intense guy. You could totally picture him as some kind of intense guy. And and I met him, and I I learned about the SEALs. Later, I learned that he was actually um, EOD. But there were also a lot of EOD who were SEALs and, you know, SEALs who were EOD, cross-trained. And so it's possible that he wasn't even clear about the difference, even though today, you know, SEALs are (laughs) pretty sensitive about People claiming to be seals who aren't. Right, right. It's kind of an epidemic, as you know. Yeah, though I mean, the, our explosive ordnance disposal EOD for our listeners who may not know, um, they are their own set of badasses, right? I totally. Mean, they yeah. they do some crazy stuff. So yeah. Um, so I have this whole list of questions that you know, and and I love that we're going just like I said through organic conversation. We've already covered a lot of what I was going to ask you. So mm-hmm. like my next my next question um, had to do with you know, how you got into the, the SEALs and how you kind of made that decision. You've, you've already kind of answered that. Um, we talked about the, the conversation, or rather our guests that we're going to bring on being athletes, being corporate leaders, being veterans, and we said that you're three of those. Mm-hmm. You're, you're all three of them. Um, I also want to talk about obstacles that you've overcome uh, through your life, using specifically using our, our minds, meditation, mindfulness. And I know in your book, you talk about, or your books rather, you talk about the five mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, can you touch on some obstacles that you have overcome 
and let our listeners know what these five mountains, what that's all about. Absolutely. Well, I don't think, you know, my obstacles are probably minor compared to a lot of people listening here. You know, I, um, you know, I, I was blessed with a pretty athletic kind of background and my mom got me into sports at a young age. And so physically, uh, you know, I found a great outlet through sports. And I also grew up in upstate New York where I had a lot of land and, and upstate New York around the Adirondacks, six million acres of pristine land. I had a lot of land to explore. And so I too spent an enormous amount of time outdoors and, you know, became kind of a endurance outdoor athlete. It was just awesome. And, and that really helped me understand and appreciate nature, uh, how a human being is meant to live in harmony with nature and not in juxtaposition to it, which we've gone way off track in our right. society. And that's a big, totally big mission of mine, along with a lot of others is to help us real rebalance, you know, both humanity and mother earth. So we're and animals, you know, I include those mother. So we're all kind of in harmony again, which basically is maybe even existentially necessary. So um, at any rate, so I had a pretty, you know, what one would consider idyllic childhood and, and upbringing, except for one thing. Uh, like a lot of listeners, there was a lot of alcoholism that ran, you know, multi-generationally through both sides of my family and, and a lot of rage and abuse uh, from you know, one side of my family. And um, I, unbeknownst to me, there happens to be a lot of childhood trauma associated with that. <laughs> now, I've since done a ton of work, and mindfulness has been it's instrumental in helping me really observe and see these patterns. And then to be able to use also visualization to help um, clear up the energy of that childhood trauma so that, you know, it doesn't keep tripping you up. I liken it to you know, we're our own worst enemies and we keep dropping these hand grenades that are meant for, you know, the real enemy, but we'd, we'd like <laughs> drop them out of our pouches and yeah. explode by our feet. And all of a sudden we, we become these self-inflicted wound, wounded individuals go around and repeat the same mistakes over and over because of this shadow side that we have. So my obstacles were really around my emotional shadow. Uh, I was co completely closed off from my emotions as a teenager and into my young adulthood, I burned through one relationship after another just so I couldn't communicate. And I hurt a lot of women. And that was unfortunate. You know what I mean? It was really, it was hard, right, for me to sure. see that I could do that and not even understand why. Then, well, the fact that you were aware, self-aware, at least enough to know that, you know, it, it was not right. I mean, we know there's plenty of people who don't know it even that much. Yeah, it's kind of like we talk about, you know, when we're training, you have that unconscious incompetence well that they're the most dangerous people <laughs> right right or unconscious uh, about their incompetence <laughs> but once yep. you become conscious of your incompetence then you can start making some changes right sure That's why mindfulness can be really beneficial to help you become conscious of your incompetence or those shadow patterns that you just don't have any training or experience around so that you can fill the gap you, you know you can either go get help if it's if it's a hardcore trauma like abuse or sexual abuse, then there's help that you can get. You know, if it's right. trauma from alcoholism and, and like severe codependence, then guess what? There's some great programs to help with that. Sure. And um, but if you're not aware of it, then like you said, you're you're almost, you know, you're a danger to yourself and to society because you know you're going to hurt a lot of people and 
and in turn hurt yourself. So those were the, the standard op- obstacles that I had to work through. Um, Got it. And did they show up in my work? Yes, they did. Did they show up in the SEALs? You bet. You know, I went from, yeah. n- this is the first time I disclose this in my next book, but I went, you know, because everyone thinks Navy SEALs are perfect. Wrong. <laughs> right? Wrong. I, know th- I know that's not true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I went from number one ranked lieutenant to fired at SEAL Team 3 because of an alcohol-related incident. You know, and I was a great binge drinker. I was a great SEAL and a great SEAL leader, but I loved to really whoop it up after, you know, a long deployment or after a long, you know, training session like an island or something. And sure. And I didn't have a turn off switch, you know, and one night I got into kind of trouble. <laughs> and so I got, got it. I got fired by my sea daddy McRaven. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, it was a really cool story because. He overreacted. The situation was blown out of proportion, even though I fully admit that I had a few too many. But I didn't do what I was. I didn't do anything wrong. I was accused of doing something wrong, but it was a false accusation. But no one, you know, of course, in the seals, you're you're guilty until proven innocent. Right. Right. And so in I, the military, I think in, in the general. In general, yeah, exactly. So yeah. I sat on the fence in the op shop for a few months, and then Graven, once the details came to light he offered me my platoon back and to clean things up. And by then I had accepted orders to SDV team one and actually had gotten married to my wife who was a therapist and began the real deep, you know, healing from that, that childhood trauma and all that stuff that we were talking about recently. Right. So that was a real transformation. Uh, Our our biggest obstacles are our biggest opportunities. And uh, I was fortunate enough to kind of take that as an opportunity after the stung wore off a little bit, you know? Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that you can grow from those, right? If that's how you look at things with a, a learning mindset, a growth mindset, you look back on failures, you look back on these obstacles, that's how you can grow. Uh, yeah. that's, that's what it's all about. I believe so, that to take that a step forward, that's sure. the only way to grow. Yeah. We, we can't yeah. grow by taking the easy path. Right. We have to take the hard path. And the more committed you are to growth, the more challenges are thrown at you and the more challenging they will be. But then the more growth ensues from them. Sure. And, and talking about challenger, challenges and the, and the path uh, that you take, uh, again, coming back to these, these five mountains, which mm. I, you know, I find so interesting, the physical, mental, emotional, intuition and spirit side. Mm. Can you touch on that for our listeners? Yeah. Well, I'll contextualize this in the form of like when I got off active duty um, and started going to business, uh, it, it took me a few iterations and a few businesses to f- finally realize that, you know, if you're going to be in business, you've got to do something you're passionate about and, and it really fires you up. It's got to be in alignment with your purpose, in other words, and your passion. So that for me came together when I finally admitted that I absolutely loved training. <laughs> it's obvious <laughs> from this conversation. I love physical right. training. I love the mental training. I was getting into the emotional training and going pretty deep through therapy and learning uh, about emotional control and emotional awareness and social emotional development. And um, I was also fascinated with intuition because in the SEALs I had some really cool experiences. You know, the Navy's doing a study now on in intuition because of all the uh, the reports from guys in the field having experiences like this, you know, where, you know, they'd come, they'd stop because they'd feel like there was a roadside bomb ahead. They couldn't right. see it, but they'd feel like it. I and, didn't know they were doing that study. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, and they started that a couple of years ago. And I had several experiences like that. 
You know, one I've talked about uh, a few times, I think it's in one of my books, where I was walking up to a firing range one day, and I felt and heard someone say stop. So it felt like someone put their hand on my shoulder, and I heard the word stop. And I just stopped in my track. And literally that moment, a, um, a teammate had an accidental discharge, and the 9 mil run just ripped right past my ear, my right ear. Wow. Where I could feel the wind from it. I mean, it literally missed me. By a hair, had I taken Yikes. that next step, I would have, you know, it would have gone right into the back of my head. Wow! I turned around to see who had just saved my life, and there was nobody there. Nobody there. It was my intuition. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, a, you were in touch with it. Right, exactly. And that's another thing that kind of happens naturally in high-risk environments when you spend a lot of time alone in wilderness or in the field, like seals do. You know, you develop this highly tuned sense of intuition but then when you come back to the real world and you have this cacophony of noise and distractions you kind of lose it it's a use it or lose it thing but it's a really valuable skill and i believed it could be trained right because i had experienced that through my martial arts and through yoga that you know it's one of the things that happens through mindfulness and mindful movement and concentration and you know integration is a deep interconnection to the signals, right? That you, you, you distill the noise and now you can hear the signals from inside. And that includes your gut, your biome, and your heart are the primary signals. And those are transmitted up and through your enteric nervous system and your vagus nerve, and then your brain makes sense of them. But if your brain is not um, able to settle itself down or distill the monkey mind, then you'll ne first never hear the signals, and secondly, right. you won't ever be able to make sense of them. So it all kind of right. happens quite naturally. So the back to the five mountains, the five mountains, I, I started training, I started the company SealFit, which came out of my, I was hired by the, the Navy to launch the nationwide mentoring program for SEAL candidates. And um, it was a government contract that literally got swept away from me a year later after starting it by a billion dollar company. And I thought, oh man, I guess I don't belong in government contracting. And I thought about the silver lining. I said, well, you know what? The silver lining is they, they didn't let me do what I wanted to do anyways. They literally just wanted me to physically train these guys, get them in the pool, beat them up, and you know, make sure they could pass their screening tests. And what I really wanted to do was kind of what we're talking about here. I wanted to teach them you know, breath, breath training, concentration, right. mindfulness, uh, intuitive development, and become better leaders. The Navy didn't, wasn't interested in any of that, to be fair, at the time. Yeah. So I said, well, why don't I just do this as a private company and, and, and offer it to people who want to pay for it? And so I did. I launched SealFit. And that training um, became integrated training. And I called it Five Mountain Training. And that was the integration and the development of the physical, the mental, the emotional, the intuitive, and the spiritual aspects of your being. And I later changed the, the last mountain from spiritual to the Japanese warrior term Kokoro, which means that's right, that's heart right. and mind merged into action. It really is kind of like same as spiritual, but it's just a different word. It means whole mind, heart, mind, and action. You know, it really means it's more of an active form of the term spiritual. Like if you're standing your ground and in alignment with your dharma, right, your purpose in life. Right. So what I wanted to And that's do, actually the title of one of your books, the Kokoro, Kokoro Yoga. Kokoro Yoga, yeah. That yeah. whole yoga practice is meant to be like a daily practice to reintegrate you along those five mountains so that you can live with purpose and, and passion and alignment, you know. And right. that's the practice we teach vets basically through our Courage Foundation as well. 
Nice. Yeah, so there I was, and I was like, I, I know that this, who are my clients right now? Well, I'm already training SEAL candidates. Let me keep training SEAL candidates. I own NavySeals.com. I'm already doing a ton of free recruiting. So let me just offer this training through SealFit. And on the NavySeals.com website, I had three kind of channels. I said, get SEAL fit, get SEAL smart, get SEAL gear. You know, so I was going to equip you, train you physically, and nice. train you mentally. And those, um, and the mental training process became the the foundation for what I do now with unbeatable mind and the physical training process became the foundation of what I did with seal fit. They spun out into separate businesses. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Not many people. Yeah, very. And I think you actually talk about that in the, in the, uh, the way of the seal. Um, you mentioned, I think, um, Navy seals.com. It was right during the, was it the dot-com uh, bubble or was yeah. it the housing crash it was or something? Dot, dot com bubble. I was making all my money from e-commerce selling gear. Yeah. And then in literally one month, it all went away. You know, 80 to 90% of it went away. Ouch. It wasn't a dot-com bubble. It was actually 2008, the financial crisis. And okay, every, so everyone was, um, everyone just shifted their buying to the lowest cost, you know, producer. And it just coincided somehow. I don't know. You know, this is just probably random, but it coincided with Walmart.com and Amazon.com kind of opened up to third-party sellers, and there were everybody and their sister started selling Navy SEALs type products that we sold, uh, but they sold them for cheaper. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So the bottom fell out of our business, and that's when I shifted focus to just training. And I wanted to really, really dig into how do you train the whole warrior, you know, and how do you make help this warrior lead effectively, make better decisions, you know, in combat you know, be more survivable, you know, have right. more awareness and also um, become pre-resilient or I guess you just say resilient, but to be able to go into combat and not take on the immense stress and moral sure. confusion of combat because you're, you're being more aware. So I put together that program and I began teaching it to SEAL candidates and other spec ops candidates. And they were just crushing it at buds. 90% of nice. them were getting through and they were sailing through with a smile. And so it was having the impact that I thought. Yeah, so really quick on that uh, for our listeners, the typical graduation rate in a buds class is below 25%. And here Mark is and his guys that he's sending to buds, what did you say, 95%? 90 to 95 were making That's it. That's amazing. The only ones who didn't were, you know, like a, a serious injury just hap happened, you know, a random act. Yeah. Right. That's pretty wild. Yeah, and a, like a, a lot of people were using SealFit, either our, our operator workouts and coming to our 50-hour Hell Week simulation called Kokoro Camp to prepare. And um, that was back in the late 2000, so 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. You know, that was like the heyday of SealFit when it was right. just, just about training spec ops. The word started getting out, and I had a lot of civilians say, hey, that sounds cool. Can I come do that? And uh, I said, yes, but I'm not going to water down the standards for you at all. And you're <laughs> you're going to train side by side with these spec ops guys. And they said, that's exactly what we want. So now most of our clients are actually, you know, executives and entrepreneurs and um, teams even. You know, full-on nice. teams will come, and we train private uh, entities, private corporations. And now we have a certified coaching program, so I got a couple hundred certified coaches who helped me do the training because there's only so much of me to go around these days. <laughs> right, right. So that's the five mountains is an integration. There are physical things we want you to do every day, which not just exercise. I'm talking about 
somatic movement, how you fuel your body, how you recover, um, and get proper sleep. So it's keeping your body in optimal physical health and balance. Because again, another thing that, that happens with mindfulness and why people fail at meditation is their body's so out of whack. They're stressed out, their sleep is out of whack, their, you know, their fueling is out of whack, nutrition I mean. And um, their move, they haven't really learned how to move their body properly so they can't sit comfortably in meditation, they, they're agitated. And so they fail at meditation, but really it's, it's a simple to solve thing. You just gotta dial in your nutrition, movement, fitness, and sleep and once you dial that in, your body and mind comes back into balance, or your body and brain come back into balance, and then you can sit and meditate because you've bled off all that agitation. So we use you know, box breathing, which is a physical practice, and we use a certain exercise protocol and somatic movement, and then we dial in sleep nutrition and recovery. And that's really the physical mountain. And then once, uh, these are kind of like progressions, even though we train them simultaneously, but Again, like I said, you're not really going to see much benefit or progress in the mental training if your body's all out of whack. That's why we start with the right. physical. And nice. But where the body leads, the mind sense. follows. So as the body comes back in the balance, the brain will come back in the balance. Then you can start to begin the mental training of concentration followed by attention control, followed by mindfulness, supported with visualization. And then at the even higher levels, once you get some dirt time practicing those skills what we'll call insight meditation will naturally open up and this is also where your intuitive field begins to really open up and become available to you right so that's that the mental and the emotional we already kind of talked about the emotional is really starts to become a benefit when your mindfulness practice kicks in and you begin to recognize the patterns that are holding you back and tripping you up and then what you're going to do is trace those patterns back to their roots and begin to really work on that roots with, uh, with visualization and practices like EMDR and somatic therapy and different things like that. And so we'll train those as well. Some of those require an expert's help, especially you know if you're a vet who is suffering from post-traumatic stress, you know you might need, you know, some support there. But a lot of these have self-care aspects to them as well that you can right. build into your training plan. Sure. And then intuition, like one way to look at it is just let intuition kind of open up. Um, as warriors, you know, we don't like to take anything for granted, so we also can train this. And the way we'll train intuition is through nature, time in nature, which is I love what you're doing with your programs. Mindfulness and nature, what an extraordinary combination to right. really yeah, tap yeah. into intuition and to open up that, you know, and, and just absolutely getting comfortable with silence and then also sensory deprivation, you know, like sensory depredation tanks or you know, learning how to close off your senses and just go really deep deeper than the yogis would call that pratyahara and it's part of okay. their eight, eight limb path and then um, Kokoro really is about alignment it's a daily practice of aligning with your passion purpose and principles getting a clear vision about your future um, creating a mission plan and then identifying your most important targets every day to go after and to complete that mission. And so you end up become radically focused and purposeful about your actions. And you end up saying no to anything that's going to distract you from that path. In fact, right. that brings us back to right, you know, you said, how, do, how would I accomplish, you know, running five books and running three businesses? It's because of that last one, alignment and radical front sight focus, right? Where I'm saying no to 
most things so that I can say yes to the right things. The right things. Yeah, I love that. So those are the five months. They're not just meant to be something that are, are motivational. They're an actual training plan. And I lay that out in my book, The Way of the Seal. And I have examples of my training plan. And that, by the way, was 2012. So my training plan has become has changed quite a bit. And I say that in the book, the training plan could change quarterly. It could change, you know, every year, depends upon your needs. It could change seasonally. Sure. Um, But it's going to have things that you do daily, things that you do weekly, things that you do monthly, things you do quarterly, things that you do just once or twice a year, like big retreats or training sessions, you know, where nature's, you know, like a silent retreat in nature. You couldn't do that every week, but you. Yeah. Dave and I are actually going on a retreat in January, a a big, uh, like 10 day retreat. I heard so, about that. Yeah, the, it's going to be pretty intense. With the Benedictines, right? Yeah. How yep. cool is that? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Me too. I so, can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, yeah, so Five Mountain Training is integrated training to make an individual whole and to unlock accelerated growth, accelerated development, so that you know you can become – you have more access to your potential. You can perform – at a high level, at a peak state, at will, you know, you don't have to hope for it to happen. You have greater capacity to serve others, and you become more world-centric. You know, you really break the bonds of the ego and expand your right. your heart opens in and expands to where it has great care and concern for all humans and all animals and Mother Earth, and and you just feel really compelled to do something about it. And the fourth area that it really helps you is you become more connecting. Right? You're more present, so you can be more connecting to your family and to your teammates, and you know, not that's a, not that's a big one anymore, or, or right. drop those grenades, you know. <laughs> and I think that's really what got me into it. Is is uh, I was starting to notice that I was not connected with my family, and um, I'm on my second marriage, uh, and I don't have any kids from my previous marriage, but my mm-hmm. my wife and I now we've got two little ones, and. Uh, you know, there were times when I was not connecting with my, my little ones. And, you know, I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old and, and now a nine-month-old. Mm, um, hey, thanks, man. Um, but the, you know, two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, so one-year-old now or then, um, and I'm focused on, you know, military work and I'm focused on, uh, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow or what, would, what had happened yesterday and I've had regrets and I wasn't in the in the moment and present with my family, present with my little one, present with my wife. Right. And that's when I realized, hey, you know, this is something I need to change in, in who I am and how I do things. And, and mindfulness and meditation have been game changers with that. Um, and not just with my family, but yeah. also with friends, with coworkers. It, you talked about, you know, the left and right side of the brains and that or of the brain. And I think meditation has, has really helped me tap into that that right side of the brain Mm -hmm. um you know where now i can be uh more intuitive Mm -hmm. um you know not not just with my relationships but like you mentioned in in work and everything else it's it's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. and you know that when i when i first got told that i should practice meditation and and mindfulness you know i kind of scoffed at the person who told me hey this is something you should try and uh because my my preconceived notion about meditators and uh, was kind of a hippie or somebody up in the mountains, you know, uh, you know, a monk and nothing against that, but that's just not who I am. Mm-hmm. And 
and I think that stigma is is slowly starting to break, thankfully. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're trying to break that wall down. But what do you feel is one of the, the things keeping people from practicing meditation and mindfulness when they hear that first first off? Well, I think what you said is, is one of the biggies is that, you know, there is still this, um, and rightfully so, some sort of a stigma because meditation was brought from Eastern cultures and... Um, it, you know, it hasn't really shed the robe yet, right? So right. this is one of the things that I've tried really hard to do is I found that when I started teaching Navy SEALs, you know, I said, hey, we're going to go do yoga. Their, their eyes are crossing. So I said, okay, next class, I didn't even mention the term yoga, and I didn't, there's, there wasn't a Sanskrit word uttered. And I broke it all down into, like, really practical drills, and I called it taking the foo out of the kung fu. And they loved it. <laughs> I just said, here's this. This is going to make you, you know, more effective and more focused in combat and more aware and you, you know more you know, you'll be able to survive at a much higher uh, degree of probability and you know this this and this and this and based you know give them real life stories and examples and and everyone's like yeah i definitely need this and um and so they took to the box breathing they took to the other breath practices um they took to the concentration and the attention control and the visualization and the mindfulness like those are the main skills that we teach they took to them like really quickly because I took the foo out of the kung fu, but nice. but uh, that was kind of that. a unique thing to us. And we started doing that in 2008. Now you're seeing kind of a corporatization of mindfulness, and I think that has got pros and cons. Of course, the pros are more people would be exposed to it. The cons right. are they might be doing it for the wrong reason, right? Because sure, it, it, it's not about getting more, doing better all the time building your wealth bank account, become, you know, looking um, better to the opposite sex. Now, those might come from a practice, but they really shouldn't be the reason right, that right. you begin a meditation practice. Having said that, you know, I'm okay if someone starts for those reasons and then the meditation opens your heart and makes you more compassionate. And then all of a sudden you realize over time that it's not about those things. So it really is kind of a double-edged sword. And True. I think it's probably a good thing that, you know, you have things like Headspace and Muse and, and 10% Happier that are really democratizing, corporatizing, and, and even further taking the foo out of the kung fu for, <laughs> for the Western audience, per se. Right. So you're going right. to find more uptake and more people. The other thing is kind of what I told you before is that there's been a huge misunderstanding of what meditation is and a conflation of all these different practices into one bucket. And so people are, are doing visualization and calling it meditation. People are doing concentration and calling it meditation. People are doing mindfulness and calling it meditation. Um, you know, there, there is a very specific, this is the way I learned it anyways, and, and what's worked for me and my students. There's a very specific like process to train the mind and we've already talked about it quite a bit in this show it, it really starts with getting the body ready and then preparing the brain and then learning how to concentrate and then learning how to keep your attention or, or to direct your attention where it needs to go and we call that attention control and then practicing mindfulness. And if you jump right to mindfulness, you know, you're going to fail if you're, if you're a beginner. It, it's difficult. Or you, I should say you can fail. 
Now, the reason right. you were successful, John, is you were a Navy SEAL. You already had the first two or three down, right? Right. And right. Um, But a lot of people don't. You know, they're out of shape. They're out of balance. Their mind's running all over the place. And then they sit down and say, you know, they say practice mindfulness. And, and they're like, huh? And so they basically <laughs> sit down and think for 20 minutes or however long, you know? And so that's... Um, that's not meditating. That's sitting down and thinking, you know, <laughs> right? Or obsessing right. about things, and <laughs> so, um, and then it, it gets really frustrating. Especially so. if you're going to start for, if you're going to jump right into, you know, a 20-minute mindfulness practice, uh, right. if you've never done it before, your mind right. is going to go all over the place. Like you said, that monkey mind is going to go out of control. Right. If you practice or start small and work your way up every day. Um, both the physical side and the mental side, it's, it's going to help to break down that, that sure. wall and you know, get, not, get through it. You brought up a big, uh, this is an important point, so I'd like to dig into a little bit more. Sure. We kind of have learned this with exercise. You know, when I, I think we all in the SEALs thought that more was better. <laughs> and yep. what the research is showing is that that's not so true. You know, working out for six hours could have diminishing returns. Sure. But if you worked out for, um, you know, 20 minutes in the morning, uh, 20 minutes at lunch, did a 20 minute, you know, yoga recovery in the evening. Now you've got a whole hour in and you did that day in and day out and you, and you mixed it up and had a lot of variety. You probably have a lot more benefit than, you know, just crushing yourself and then, you know, getting burnt out. Right. So yeah, same absolutely. thing with meditation. If you practice, you know, two minutes in the morning, Two minutes at, you know, set your alarm and at 10 o'clock coffee break, before your coffee break, practice for two minutes. Practice for two minutes after lunch, practice for two minutes in mid-afternoon, and practice for two minutes right before you enter home, right, to reset, right. you know, from work to, to family yeah. time. Yeah, that transition. Yeah, and maybe two minutes before you go to bed. And, you know, I don't know how many two minutes I just said there, but it's probably. <laughs> I think it was 10. Yeah, it's probably 10 like total minutes. 20 minutes of, of practice time that you spread out throughout the day and then you do that every day and the cumulative effect of stacking those practices is enormous. Right. And it's a lot easier for someone to do that and to even conceive of doing that than to think, well, I've got to sit for 45 minutes because they don't have the time and they're too distracted and they haven't trained to do that. Right. So they're, they're easier to fit into your day that way. And I mean, you benefit from it multiple times throughout your day. So, you know, you're resetting your mind before a big meeting, you're right. resetting your mind before walking through the door after being at work all day. Now you're reset as you are with your family. So right. you're not only squeezing more meditations in there, but you're squeezing them in at critical times. So yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. So, um, so we're coming up on an hour, and I want to make sure we touch on one, one more thing. Um, we've talked briefly about your books, The Unbeatable Mind and the Way of the Seal, and I know we touched on uh, the Kokoro Yoga. That one, I have to admit, I have not read yet. It is on my stack, Great. Uh, so I'll, I'll get to it. <laughs> but you've got another one coming out, The Staring Down the Wolf. Right. What's this one about? Well, this one is really about the emotional development. <clears throat> it started out when my publisher said, hey, Mark, you know, Navy SEAL leadership books are hot. We want you to write one. And I was like, mm, you know what I mean? <laughs> I yeah. had that like, okay. I said, I, and I thought about it. And I said, listen, here's what I like to do. I, I definitely will get some really cool leadership concepts out there. that may, Maybe some new ones, you know, that haven't been talked about before. But what I really like to do is discuss emotional development, emotionally aware leadership. And the way I'd like to do that is to juxtapose 
all the great things that you're supposed to do with how hard it is to actually do them because of your shadow, because of these preconditionings that we have, because of trauma and you know, lack of um, self-esteem or being stuck in an egoic state or you name it, right? Everyone's got their, their version of it, whether they'd like to admit it or not. So the staring down the wolf is a reference to the fact that you've got to stare down your fear wolf. And I use that as a blanket kind of code for overcome your shadow, develop your emotional maturity and your emotional awareness. And I reference some of these practices that we've been talking about as the the way in, right? So I reference mindfulness and and uh, the breathing techniques and even insight meditation as kind of the way to really get into these. And I and I recommending through the process of the book that the leaders um, who are reading it bring it to their team and train together because one another premise of the book is that some of the the best growth is going to be coming not from you sitting on the bench alone or practicing mindfulness alone, but by being with your team and learning how to be more present with and through your team, learning how to communicate from your heart with your team. And so the team becomes or is the new vehicle for your accelerated growth and your emotional awareness. And um, so that's, and I talk about seven commitments, both to develop the positive side and also to stare down the fear side. And those commitments are commitment to courage, trust, respect, growth, uh, excellence, resiliency, and alignment. Nice. So it's also my most vulnerable book. You know, like I mentioned earlier, it's the first time I kind of admitted, you know, that, that my own kind of shadow side and how it tripped me up. And in fact, yeah. my story runs through it in that I, I, I profile each chapter has a Navy SEAL leader like McRaven, you know, or Olson doing, you know, just incredible things that I had personal experience with or observed or knew the stories that, that, that aren't, you know, one of them is well known. That would be Latrell's story. I use him for resilience. And, sure. and you know, he's such a great example of resilience, but um, most aren't well known. But then I kind of juxtapose, juxtapose my own disasters in the corporate world and building my businesses as to how hard it is to actually do it. And I made a bold claim. I said, leading in the SEALs and in the military spec ops is actually a heck, or leading and building an elite team is much easier than it is in the private sector because you I, have I, a I would super, believe that. Yeah, super homogeneous crowd. They've been sure. you know, training for years to be there. They've been hand selected. And the organizations have spent billions of dollars on you know, culture and, and uh, systems to really prop up the leaders, right? But you get out and try, start your own business, you got none of that, you know? Or, right. And any kind of mid-sized company really has very little of that, unless you're in a large, large organization. So that's the book. It's coming out on March 2nd, and it's available for pre-order. That was my next question. Yeah. In fact, pre-ordering it would be super cool because, you know, I want a lot of people, especially veterans and others, to, to um, read this book. Because, you know, I've been told it's good. It was one of those things where I'm, <laughs> I'm terrified of putting it out there. Sure. You know, usually here in Navy SEAL, they say they're terrified in the right way. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, this is a little scary. You know, my, my family's going to read this. And they'll be like, <laughs> who are you talking about? I'm like, I'm talking about us. <laughs> right? So there's yeah, stuff like it. that that I'm just like, oh, my God. I'm but excited to read it. If we can get the more pre-orders we get, the more uh, attention we'll get at launch. And we have the possibility of, you know, becoming another New York Times bestseller 
uh, like one of my other nice. books. And so if you're listening to this and you're intrigued, then go to stirringdownthewolf.com. We got some really cool pre-order offers up there, and and uh, that would be really huge. And really appreciate that. Yeah, nice, definitely. So, and you also talked about, um, or something we haven't talked about yet that I do want to touch on before we end. Uh, the Courage Foundation and how much overlap there is between what it is you guys do and what Veterans Path does. Can you tell our listeners about the Courage Foundation? Sure. Several years ago, I um, I kept getting you know interest from veterans who really couldn't afford my unbeatable mind training or my seal fit training, and I you know I didn't really have a business model for serving them you know, as a group. So I would just offer them scholarships or whatever. And then I started hearing about how many veterans uh, were committing suicide, you know, from the post-traumatic stress. And I was like, Oh my God, my heart broke. And I said, I've got to do something, you know, if not me, then who? Huh. Apparently right. I wasn't the only one because the number of veteran organizations that have popped up in the last few years because of this issue have been, it's a staggering and it's really cool. And we're all good. We're all kind of working together or starting to try to work together. Like I see us being able to collaborate at Veterans Path with Courage Foundation. I hope so. I hope so. So our specific mission is to help veterans with post-traumatic stress um, heal through our process of integration. You know, we have a very unique process of reintegration through Unbeatable Mind. We have 200 certified coach, many who are military veterans themselves, and we've run now our first cohort for veterans with post-traumatic stress, and we have a 70% success rate with them. One of our vets has lost 80 pounds and has been transformed, wow. right? And so it's not just about the weight loss. We teach them the physical movement. We teach them all the practices we've talked about on this podcast. And then we put them in a boat crew. So they now got a team again. And then the, each boat crew has a coach and the vet has a coach. And so they, for 18 months, we, we put them through a three day integration training, which is a deep immersion. It's all free to the vets. And then um, we um, provide them with 18 months of coaching support uh, wow. for both the bow crew. So they've got the teaming effect as well as uh, the individual coach. So it's a pretty extraordinary oh, process. It. Yeah. And, and the information can be found at feedcourage.org. 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 All right. Yeah. Great, man. I love what you're doing. And definitely, I see uh, there's definitely some way to collaborate between Veterans Path and, and the Courage Foundation. I so, agree. Uh, yeah. So, at this point, Mark, um, if, if our listeners wanted to know more about you or get a hold of you specifically, what should they be doing? Well, my personal website, markdevine.com, is kind of like a tour through what I do. So there's information about uh, Courage Foundation there. There's information about Seal Fit and Unbeatable Mind, my companies, my books. So that's a good place to start. And then if someone wants to contact me, um, they can send an, an, um, an email to info at unbeatablemind.com and it'll go to my assistant and she'll copy me on it. Great. It helps me uh, keep my inbox clear by not having it sure. directly to me. <laughs> so info at unbeatablemind.com. Yeah. Great. Well, awesome. Uh, I think this kind of brings us to the end of the show, Mark. Uh, yeah. It's been absolutely awesome having you on the show. So thank yeah. you so much for, for being our first guest, first of many to come. Thanks for your honesty, your vulnerability, and sharing your stories with us, and, and really, like I said, helping to break down these, these stigmas of, of seeking mental health support. So it's truly been an honor. For our listeners, thanks for listening to our first show. It's the first of many to come. 
please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Twitter. And, you know, check out Mark's websites, check out his book, check out the Courage Foundation, sorry, the books, and check out the <laughs> Courage Foundation. Anything else, Mark, before we, uh, we say goodbye? No, thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, it's important work. And for uh, all you listeners, thanks for your support of the vets. And if you're a vet, then um, begin to do these practices. They are transformative. You won't regret it. And hope to see Amen. hope to see you in training. <laughs> all right, thanks, Mark, and thank you all. Have a blessed day. Yeah. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives. <laughs>